Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 87. Ben Franklin said, there is nothing certain in life but death and taxes. We can't do much about death, but we may be able to do something about the amount of taxes we pay. And that's why I asked today's guest, Ernie Neve, to come on the show. Ernie is a small business owner, entrepreneur, and tax guru. Ernie founded Neven Company, one of the most successful CPA firms and tax specialists in the Philadelphia area. Ernie came on to tell us how the average American can benefit by working with a certified public accountant for tax planning to help get their financial game in order, to make sure there's no surprises from the IRS. We talk about what it was like building a small business from nothing leaving a big corporation to start his own company back in the day. 25 years later, Ernie runs one of the most successful tax planning firms and CPA consultants in the Philadelphia area. It is a fun conversation with someone who's on top of their game. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, please hit that follow button or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Ernie Neve, entrepreneur, small business owner, and remember, life is built, not born. Ernie Neve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I am Ernie Neve. And I listen, I'm a CPA. After short stints with a couple of big CPA firms, I started my own business. And 25 years later, whatever it is, here we are. And my practice is tax-centric, so we're really tax-focused. Our goal is to solve problems and to save taxes. And we serve high net worth individuals, regular individuals, small business owners in a couple different genres. That's where I'm at now. I've got a firm, team members eight. I'm very involved in the community. I have 16 and a half year old twin boys. I am a lifelong fitness enthusiast and hockey player. So that takes up a lot of my time. My boys are both aspiring junior and college hockey players. So they're at a pretty critical point in their career. So a lot of my time is spent facilitating that between their workouts and their hockey and all that. But I'm married to my lovely wife, Gina for 25 years and just going about my day-to-day trying to keep it real and help people do what they got to do. want to get into a little bit in your hockey career, which I find really interesting. And I always find that the competitive athletes, the collegiate athletes, they're just wired a little differently. want to touch on that a little bit, but I want to spend the majority of the podcast, if you don't mind, your firm, Neve & Company, the tax planning CPA professionals, they are constantly ranked one of the best of the Philly suburbs and tax planning. Want to just use our time together of how the average person can benefit from a tax professional. There's that old saying, there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes, right? Just to basically pay the least amount of taxes legally possible. Make sense? And that's where tax planning comes in and how a tax professional can help the average family. Like, are you? Yes, sir. Take us to 18 years old. They asked the 18-year-old version of Ernie Neve what he wanted to be. What would he say? 
Yeah, at 18, I probably still wanted to be a hockey player. Probably thought I was going to be a hockey player and uh, really didn't have a revelation with regard to education and school until a little bit later. Not too long after that, I figured it out and I was fortunate to already be in some of the right places. So yeah, it was uh, <laughs> that was my thinking back then. I had taken some accounting courses in high school and I did really well on them and it came very easy to me. And that was sort of the trigger. It was like, hey, you know what? This is easy. This is probably what I should pursue. So I did, I did go to college to pursue my accounting and business degrees, but I really, I really aspired to go to college to play hockey. That's really why I wanted to go. It was only after probably my first tryout with a college team, which was Westfield State in Massachusetts. The first day on the ice was on the ice with a hundred players. 100 players. There were kids from all over New England. They were all high school all-stars. They all had accolades. Everybody was a leading scorer in their league. That was my first exposure to a lot of talent. And it was probably some revelation at that moment. It was like, okay, you know what? I'm probably not going to, probably not going to be able to do this for a living, but I better start focusing on my education a little bit. At what point do you decide accounting, CPA, tax planning? How'd you get into that? When I went to work for the first CPA firms, what they did, they were a firm that served small business owners and individuals, and we did tax returns. That's what we did. I mean, we did a lot of other things, but the focus at the end of the day, as you said, death and taxes, people engaged our firm. They need to have their taxes done. They know there's something they've got to do once a year. Some people are not so sure about how or what or why, but that was really it. So it's almost started from day one. That was the type of work that we did. And, and it was great. It was fine. I had good mentors coming up and I was in good places to learn. As I ultimately progressed to build my own firm, the thought process was, what do people need? How can I help people? And that was the best way. The best way was people don't understand their taxes. They often overpay and they need help. And as you said, the average person needs some help. And I was like, you know what? We can help people and we can make a living doing this and have a nice business. You pivoted from working for an accounting firm to creating your own, going out, being an entrepreneur. Do you remember that moment where you walked in the big firm as an employee and you left an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's easy. I, so come from an entrepreneurial background. My dad had been in business for a long time. And I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that I would be on my own. I always aspired to be on my own. And you know, I did some tax returns on the side. I had a little side business. The firm I was working for at the time, which was Grant Thornton, big CPA firm, they really didn't care about my little you know, Butch's Deli client down the street that I worked on the weekends. That was not something they were interested in. So they really, they didn't preclude me from doing that. So I had a handful of clients on my own. And when I worked at Grant Thornton, yeah, what happened there, interesting story. What happened there was I I was doing a great job for them. I was making them a lot of money. I was billing a lot of time. I had good client relationships and I knew I was a player within our department there. And I went to the partner in charge of the department and said, hey, I think I'm really valuable here. I'd like to be compensated accordingly. I know I'm making this. I think I should be making more. What's, What can you do to help me? What's the path here? 
And the answer was sort of like, well, you, you know, we agree you're doing great. You know, you're going to get there before you know it. You'll be there. But you, know, you came in at this and now you're making this and that's a pretty good raise and you've gotten good raises every year. So we think you're where you need to be right now. So, okay. And as things happen in business, continued the course, continued to work. And so I went back in again and I said, hey, listen, I'm really serious here. What can you do? Kind of said the same thing to me again. So when I walked out of the partner's office that day, I was thinking, okay, I'm done here. What can I do to get my firm on track ASAP? And that's sort of where it started. I, I remember it explicitly. Do you remember the first day you opened up your shingle? Like you started, like you went, you went to your place and game was yeah. on? Yeah. And the thing about that was I didn't expect to do it. Like I kind of felt like I would do it at some point in time, but I had no immediate plans to do it. I was, I think I was 27 years old. I had no plans to do it. Now, the good news is I had no significant financial responsibility. I didn't have any money, but I had really no significant financial responsibility. And thankfully my mom and dad were, were supportive. My dad was very supportive of being entrepreneurial and originally it partnered up with a guy partnership lasted about six months. Guy hired me basically and said, hey, listen, I've got this practice. I'm too busy to run it. You can kind of come in and take over. I'll make you a 50% partner. We'll see where it goes from here. That was very difficult, but I, I jumped into that March 13th. So that's tail end of tax season. Jumped into a situation where nothing had been done. It was March 13th with an April 15th deadline for taxes and nothing had been done. The phone was ringing off the hook. There were a thousand phone messages and people were screaming for their tax returns. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And that was very difficult and didn't have a ton of support. Somehow muddled through all that, got through all of that. And long story short, six months later, I got some money and I bought this guy out. And I took over that practice along with the practice I had already. And that was the start of what what then was an even company. And we just kind of roll with it from there. Those early years were tough. Those early years were tough. There was a, a lot of hours spent and a lot of work. And you know, you kind of know back then uh, <laughs> what we went through and what our situation was. Yeah. The takeoff, no matter what you do, the launch is always hard. The launch yeah. is, it's always takes longer. It's more expensive. There's things that pop up. Life happens. No matter what you're starting, it's always, the mountain's always bigger than it seems when you start. And at some point the dip happens. After you, the initial launch, what, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced after you got going? So you got going, you're established. What's the biggest, like first big obstacle you ran into? Yeah, there were several of them. And what I tell anyone I meet who aspires to start their own accounting firm, really any small business, th there were no resources back then, Joe. There was no YouTube. There was no Google. I mean, there was no readily available information that you could get on how to do it. So no one really told you how to do it. You could read some things, you can get some ideas, you could go to some seminars, but the information was sparse. There just wasn't information on how to do it. So what I think was unfortunate back then for me was there just, there wasn't coaching. There wasn't much available. So, so that whole thing was a challenge because I'd come from two firms that were considerably well-established and bigger than what I was starting. So really just understanding systems and processes and all those things that had to be in place 
didn't really get that. All of that, getting all of that put together was a challenge. I remember the bigger challenges way back was billing and collection. That was a huge challenge. I was really happy to do the work and I could convince the client that the work was done properly, but I didn't have a system for billing and collection. I didn't have really resources. So just so many things. It was overwhelming to me at the time. I was working 80, 90 hours a week just trying to get out of the gate. And I did that for a solid three, four, five years. So there, there were many challenges. But so client acquisition, interestingly enough, getting clients, that was never a real big challenge. That seemed to work out. I didn't do a whole lot, knew nothing about marketing back then. I thought I did, but really I didn't. And I uh, just was fortunate enough to get a lot of referrals and, and keep some things going. But yeah, I mean, billing, collections, resources, people, systems, anything that you need to start a business. Those were the challenges early on. These two things will tie together pretty good. What are you good at? You're good at taxes and you're good at minimizing the legal taxes people need to pay. But you're not a biller or collector. You're not an accounts receivable. That's not what you do. And I even see it with physicians where you have an amazing doctor who might be an amazing surgeon, but like they're horrible collecting copays. And they wind up either not making the money they thought or just not being as profitable because they're not in the business world. They're in the doctor world, right? So as someone like, say, a CPA or a doctor would need someone to help billing or collecting their money or sending out the bills in a timely fashion, the average American, the average person knows nothing about the tax code. And what you find out is you're paying way too much in taxes or you don't have a plan or sometimes you get your tax bill and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, you can't believe how much you owe the IRS because there's no planning about, right? So what I was hoping to do from this point forward, I have some questions that I gathered from people, but what they would have regarding tax planning. So I love that. Okay. How can a CPA certified public accountant help the average family with their goals and planning. Say you have two teachers, two teachers making decent income and they have two, three kids. They live in the suburbs. Why do they need a CPA? Yeah, it's, I mean, you kind of touched it already. Sadly, the tax laws and the tax system as it is situated today, there are not a lot of loopholes for that situation. Two W-2 earners making decent money, there, there really aren't a ton of loopholes. They're not small business owners. They're not real estate investors. If they don't have any of those things, then it really is more a matter of, okay, what, you know, what are the things you can take advantage of? Are you deferring compensation properly? Are you having the proper amount withheld? Are you taking advantage of anything that's available because maybe you're working more at home? Or if you've got a teacher, there are a couple of small deductions and credits specific to them. So it really is just mostly a matter of planning, just looking at something. We can't rewrite history. We can't rewrite history. We could write it going forward. And that's what we try to do. So it's really a matter of helping that client plan, giving them some basic information about how to understand taxes. They don't need to understand the tax code in detail. They just need to understand, hey, this is what you're required to pay. Here are the things you can do to mitigate it. You could contribute to your 403B. If you're a teacher, it's usually what they have. You've got an HSA. You can contribute to that. You can reduce your federal taxable income. You could put more in your pocket at every paycheck. You shouldn't be getting a five or $10,000 refund at the end of the year. You want that money in your pocket during the year. So you want to make sure you're withholding 
is correct. And you want to make sure that if there are advantages related to your children with regard to either credits or deductions, or if you're paying tuition, is there something there that could be tax advantageous? Uh, college tuition, of course, is, is still very advantageous if you're paying that for kids. So there are some things that, you know, again, if it's talked through and it's planned, the other thing is if they're making decent money and they're saving and they're trying to build wealth, as you likely know, those clients should have a financial advisor, investment advisor. And that is not something that I do. And clarifying that, I'm a traditional tax guy. And what that means is I don't give investment advice and I don't do financial planning. But what I will do is I will work hand in hand with clients financial advisor or investment advisor and sort of quarterback that relationship to make sure that not only are all their taxes handled from a standpoint of their income, but what's going on with their investments and how are they managing things like capital gains and capital losses. And that's all part of the tax situation. And it's important that your tax guy work with your investment advisor at least once or twice a year to make sure that you're on the same page and doing the right things. Yeah. You have that really basic scenario where there's two W-2 incomes. But now there's so many people that I know that have their hands in so many things. One, they might have investments that are not tax deferred. Maybe they play the stock market. They do a lot of selling and trading of the stocks. Everyone's on E-Trade going back and forth. I know so many people that have rental properties, that they have stuff down the shore, they have stuff in the city that they rent out. Why would it be important for someone that has all those side hustles? Maybe they're DJing on the weekend. Why it's important for them of having a CPA on your side? When someone comes to me and they've got that two W two situation and the two W two two kids and nothing else, one of the first things I tell them is, "Hey, there's not a lot you can do. There's some basic things I can tell you to do to help your tax situation." But you haven't created a forum with which to do that. So the you know, well, how do I do that? Well, the, the two forums that you can create, and you hit on two main ones, is you can start a small business, a IE side hustle, absolutely, and you can invest in real estate. Those two things right away change the game. If you've got either of those two things or both of those two things, you're changing the game. One of the most significant things about owning a small business is now for tax purposes, if you run an active small business and you would, and it aspires to make money, that's the whole idea, you've got the ability to claim business deductions that you couldn't claim before. One of the changes back in 2018 with Trump's tax law was he eliminated something called employee business expense. Used to be back in the day, you know this being a sales guy, used to be back in the day that you, if you were a W-2 employee and you were in sales, you could still write off any unreimbursed expenses that your employer didn't pay for. Things like meals, things like use of your cars, things like use of home office, all these things that, that you didn't get paid for, but you used in your business, they were a write-off. That was eliminated in 2018. So the only way to invoke business expenses on a tax return for someone like that are the side hustle type business expenses, which now invoke the home office. So now you're writing off your cell phone. Now you're writing off your home internet. Now you're writing off some space in your home office and a portion of your utilities. Now you're writing off professional fees. Now you're writing off things like computers, And anything really related to that business now becomes a write-off 
And as an active small business owner, those write-offs can offset your W-2 income. The big thing there, and I'll point out right now with COVID having come into play, is that, believe it or not, there's no provision in the tax law for someone who is an employee to write off their home office. I think you and I have touched on this before. You can't write off your home office. That just seems like a crazy thing to me because everybody works from home. Everybody works from home. I'm sitting in my home office right now. I think you are too. Everybody works from home. So if you're an employee of a company and you can't write off your home office, that doesn't make any sense. So what do I tell this people? You got the side gig you wanted to get going. Let's get that side gig going. Let's get that side hustle going. Maybe it'll turn into something. Maybe it won't. But that's an opportunity for you to start writing off that home office legitimately. Real estate's a little different. Real estate investing, the big thing I see with real estate is that someone who is a good earner on the W-2 side and is making, say, combined income, $300,000 between husband and wife, let's say, they think immediately, oh, I've got this piece of real estate. It's investment real estate. I'm going to have all these write-offs. I can write that off against my W-2 income. The reality of it is real estate is a passive investment. So if you create real estate losses and your income for a married filing joint return is over 150000 you cannot write off those losses. They get suspended. It doesn't mean real estate investing is a bad thing. It just means that you have to work with an advisor to figure out, okay, well, how do we avoid that? How can we activate these real estate expenses for that sure house that we only use less than 14 days a year? How can we activate these things? And that's where the planning comes in. That's where we look at everyone's situation with their rental properties and figure out, okay, how can we use this today to take advantage of this year? instead of wasting these deductions. The last time I ever did my own taxes, this is well over a decade ago, I was sitting at dinner with somebody and we had kids in daycare and someone mentioned, oh, at least we could write the five grand off with the daycare deduction. I had no idea what he was talking about. I totally missed that for three years. Like I just totally missed it. I knew I was doing myself a disservice by trying to save a couple hundred bucks and spending the $50 on TurboTax. TurboTax. What's the advantage? What's the danger? Yeah. As you mentioned, if you've got what is a a basic tax situation and you're pretty adept technically and you want to to read and you want to dig into the tax law and you want to teach yourself enough to do an adequate job doing your tax return on the TurboTaxes of the world, have at it. Okay. Biggest advantage is you're not paying a CPA. So like you said, you're spending your time, you're spending 50 bucks for the subscription to TurboTax instead of paying a CPA like me, $750 to do your tax return. Disadvantages, one mistake could cost you well in excess of that $750 that you would have paid in fees. So there is a benefit to it. Listen, I review returns all the time. The first thing I do when a client wants to come on board and I want to quote them a fee and see what they need, the first thing I do is I review their last three years tax returns. And oftentimes, if they're self-prepared, I'm going to get three TurboTax files. And we look at them and we find all kinds of mistakes that the person made, simply because, they, like you said, they didn't know. So they just answered the questions in TurboTax and went along with the program and filed their taxes. And oftentimes they'll leave money on the table, as you said, in the form of deductions. Hey, I didn't claim this. Hey, I didn't claim that. So really, taxes are a financial defense. 
and it's an opportunity to keep keep more money. And if you don't do it properly, or if you make a mistake after the fact, you're going to end up paying. You're going to end up paying more than maybe you should. I like to say with TurboTax, there are certainly more than a handful of people that that's adequate for them in terms of what they've got going on. But once you get to a certain level, maybe your income is. Let's it's these a hundred grand. If you're making more than a hundred grand, mistakes are going to be more costly to you because you're in a higher tax bracket. So I think that's kind of the key. If you're making more than a hundred grand, you got anything complicated going on. Just because I can go on the internet and buy a scalpel doesn't mean I should take out my own appendix. One of the things I found the most beneficial working with the tax pro is that when you're thinking about making a decision, and like I'll present the idea to you if I sold this. What would be the ramifications? If I didn't sell this, what would be the ramifications? And present it to you. And before you make a decision, you can determine what the outcome is going to be next March when you pay the IRS, right? That's that's the biggest thing right there. That is what someone should do. Summarized. I try to convey throughout the year, communicate to my clients throughout the year in my interactions, like, hey, if you have something significant you are contemplating. Talk to my team and I before you contemplate it. And exactly as you said, we can run the scenarios and we can let you know if you sell this investment, this is what your capital gain tax is going to be. Or did you know if you sell this investment, you maybe don't realize it, but you're sitting on a capital loss carry forward that you can use to offset this gain. So you can sell it and keep the money and there will be either minimal or reduced or no tax effect because you've got this carry forward. They're not going to have any idea. So that's where the interaction on the investment side is key, especially with the financial advisor and the client themselves. I run into this all the time. So I've got clients that own maybe a second property, maybe like a heavy real estate investor, but maybe that, you know, maybe they own a beach house or a short property or a mountain house or a vacation home somewhere. And they come in and I haven't talked to them all year, despite my best efforts. And they come in and they say, Oh, we sold the Avalon property. Oh, great. All right, let me see what's going on. Let me see the settlement sheet. And I'll take a quick look at it. And they made a nice profit on the Avalon property. And I'll be like, Well, okay. But we don't have to pay tax on that, right? Because because we turned around and we bought a nicer property in Stone Harbor. Hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> who told you that? You know, so it's not taking action because that scenario I just described, just because you buy a second property, that's not going to preclude you paying taxes, capital gain taxes on any profit you make on the first property. If you just kind of do it ad hoc, willy nilly that way, it just doesn't work that way because people think they hear something and maybe somebody, like you said, somebody said something to them. They don't understand. But had that client come to me before they sold the Avalon property and said, hey, we're thinking of selling this. What's going to happen if we do? I'd say something to them like, hey, you know, well, if you sell it, let me take a look. Okay, you rented it a little bit. We claimed some depreciation. So we paid 800 for it. We're selling it for a million. Our gain's 200000 Well, not exactly because you've been renting it. We've been depreciating it. So there are things in place. There were some losses you didn't claim. So that comes back into play. So your gain would be this. Your tax will be this. And as you said, at least we're talking about it before you do it. Oh my God, it's going to cost me that much? Yeah, it's going to cost you that much. Well, I have to pay all this money back to the bank. I got this big mortgage. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The mortgage payoff is irrelevant in calculating your gain or your taxes. So they're like, wait a minute, I'm only going to come out of it with this much. 
Yeah. Now you know. Well, what do we do? We really like this property in Stone Harbor. We'd like to get into it. And that's when I'll tell them like, hey, there is a tax opportunity here. It's called a Section 1031 exchange. You can execute a Section 1031 exchange where you are, in essence, selling the first property, deferring the tax hit, and rolling into the second property, and you could avoid taxes completely by deferring them. But it has to be done the right way, has to be done through a third-party intermediary, and there are certain steps that have to be taken to do it, but you can accomplish that. And most people have no idea. They wouldn't have known that if we didn't have that discussion. So there's you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars saved in a transaction like that. You go to the dentist twice a year. I think you got to call your CPA once a year and run that stuff by them because that could be tens of thousands of dollars. What kind of information does the average person need to get to you? If they say, hey, I'm not sure if I need you or not, but let's talk. Yeah, typically when that happens today, and thankfully that's happening on a regular basis for me, I will ask them for their last three years tax returns. So I'll take a look at their last three years tax returns and kind of assess what was going on whether or not they did it, did another professional prepare it, though it was something missed. And then I'll, for planning standpoint, depending on their situation, I will ask them usually for pay stubs. I'll get a couple pay stubs, one maybe one from each husband and wife. And then I'll just talk to them about what else is going on. Okay, so I've looked at your prior year returns. I see what your kind of income looks like. What else you have going on this year, either that you did already or that you're contemplating doing? And that's what I'll get though. We want to know how our taxes will be affected if we buy a short house. We want to know what will happen if we're having a kid between now and the end of the year. What's How's that going to change our taxes? Just different things like what are the things that you're thinking about doing from a tax standpoint? And that doesn't even touch on if they're significantly, if they're doing a lot with investment properties, rental properties, buy and hold properties. Maybe they're a flipper. Maybe they want to buy a property and make a quick profit on it. And of course, if they've got any kind of small business, that's a big deal because that's where the real opportunity is. So anyone, small business, flipping properties, selling real estate, and maybe there's some inheritance and they get into some taxable investments, anything like that. Yeah. Big changes. Big changes. Inheritance is actually a good one because not everyone knows what's going to happen. And again, the myths that are out there, oh, I got this inheritance. Well, that's not taxable, right? I don't know. What's what's the inheritance consist of? We got the house and we got, oh, and then, and, uh, yeah, my dad had this old 401k and uh, was just sitting there and that was part of our inheritance. And then we got this 1099 and that's not taxable, right? Well, guess what? Just because it was part of the inheritance and you inherited it, if it was previously on tax qualified funds, you know, there's a death exception for the penalty, but you're looking at a sizable amount of tax. And tax planning is all about timing. Tax planning is about timing and shifting of income. And maybe they're ending up with this inheritance and distribution of a big old 401k plan. And already between the two of them, they make half a million dollars, which puts them up in the 32% tax bracket. They just stacked another 100, 200, whatever they got. They just stacked it in at their highest possible tax bracket. Maybe they would say, my wife's going on maternity leave and she's going to be out. She's not going to make as much money next year. Well, well, maybe you ought to defer the distribution until next year because if your income's lower and you take it, your marginal tax rate on that is going to be less. So timing and planning, shifting of income, maybe there are ways to shift income to other generations, to children, 
All of that is a factor. The thing is, tax planning is about finding a way to claim a deduction on your taxes for something that you would pay anyway. That's the big thing. So having that conversation and going through the process, again, like you said, it's tens of thousands of dollars that are in play. Tax planning is about timing and you got to put time on your side. You got to plan for it. You look forward and you can't change the past, but you can influence the future. Yes, sir. Totally makes sense. Awesome. I appreciate that. What other services would a CPA offer? Like, What other ways could you benefit the average family? We always lead with tax planning. So we're a tax-centric firm. So any kind of required tax compliance, which is filing of personal returns, business returns, Anything related to small business accounting and bookkeeping, we do that. We have a lot of turnkey fee agreements with our small business clients that are big enough to require some bookkeeping and accounting, but small enough that they can't have their own accounting department. They want to, they want to farm off the bookkeeping. So we'll do, we'll do bookkeeping. We'll do accounting. We'll provide them with a monthly financial uh, statement. Typically for that small business owner, that's all integrated with tax planning. So we're, you know, so we're looking at the numbers on a monthly basis. We're integrating that with their personal situation and we're letting them know where they stand and we're helping them make those tax planning decisions. We're impacting how they are compensated, how their people are compensated, how potentially their children are compensated. And we're giving them advice on business tax planning as well as individual tax planning, but we're also giving them tools they need to do a better job managing their business. And depending on the type of business they're in, if it's if they're one of the businesses that we're heavily niched into, construction, real estate, that kind of thing, we're able to provide a lot of proactive advice that's just business related. Hey, your percentages look off. This doesn't look right. You should be dropping 30% to the bottom line. What's going on here? This number looks off. So that interaction where We've really morphed, Joe, we've really morphed into not just tax guys, CPA guys, we've morphed into advisors. That's the kind of business. I'm on I'm on the phone with clients every day. There are some I talk to on a pretty regular basis about what's going on in their business. Should I lease this truck? Should I buy this truck? What's going on here? Hey, I got to hire a new guy. How's this going to impact me? So that planning mantra, that planning genre sort of extends itself into the business and it not only taxes, but just in general, accounting is a language of business. So most business owners that I know that are very successful either already understand accounting or make it a point to work with us in a way that they do. So that's the big thing. The only other big service I would say that we offer that I think is going to start to get really popular again with what's going on in in our climate here is that we solve IRS problems. So if someone is being audited by the IRS, we have a great deal of experience in helping with that process. Or if someone owes the IRS a lot of money for whatever reason and they can't pay, we help with those situations and we help protect their assets. We help them work something out with the IRS that is agreeable to all. So that's a big part of what we do. And again, a lot of times when someone comes on board, they've got those problems and we integrate all those services to fix the past, make uh, proactive efforts to influence things going forward. I want to just shift gears a little bit here so people can get to know you a little bit as a person. It's got a couple of fun questions to bounce off you. You mentioned the COVID-19 shutdown. What's the biggest lesson you took as a business owner, as a family man? What's the biggest lesson you took out of the two-year COVID-19 shutdown? Yeah, so many. I think it's that you... 
have to be prepared for anything and that you have to have business processes in place that will allow for additional capacity. When we were hit with COVID, the biggest thing, it happened literally overnight. The biggest thing I was doing to help my clients, small business owners and individuals, everybody wanted the COVID money, whatever form of money that was. And it was all different forms of money. So for individuals, it could be something as simple as economic impact payments, stimulus payments, stimulus checks. For small business owners, there was PPP round one, Paycheck Protection Program. And the interesting thing is out of the gate, way back in April of 2020, no one knew, like these programs were coming out, no one, accountants, business owners, banks, the lenders, the people who were controlling the money, like no one knew what the hell was going on. So it really was, if I didn't have the capacity and the ability to quickly learn about these programs and just dive in and help our clients. And that's what I spent. I can remember sitting right in the seat I'm in right now during COVID-19 from eight in the morning until nine, 10 o'clock at night, I'd look up, I'd be like, where did the day go? all day long, simply doing, helping clients with the COVID money. My real estate agents all became eligible for PA unemployment for the first time. It was historic. Um, And if I didn't have systems in place and capacity in place, never would have been able to to step in and and help our clients the way we did. That was a big thing. Just you, you never know. And the fact that you've got systems in place that allow for capacity, that was how we got through it. That was how we got through it. So that that was a big thing. And again, it comes back to that planning. We weren't really planning for COVID-19, but by virtue of having solid systems in place and creating some capacity, we were able to model through that and, and help our clients. Yeah, preparation and having systems in place. It's kind of that old school saying or that question, can you sleep when the storm comes? There's that some parable story where the guy can sleep well like how can you sleep well with the storm that's happening he's like i'm prepared you did everything possible that you can do in knowing that you could sleep well at night because the system and the preparations there right one of the things that we benefited from is my my practice even though we have a brick and mortar office that i believe is still a big part of how we do business today and it's an important part of how we do business today We've been cloud-based and virtual capable since 2013. So it was pretty easy for us to make that shift in terms of not only how our clients had to deal with us and how our team members had to continue interacting with us to continue getting work done. That was not a difficult thing to do. That was planning and systems and capacity already in place. I mean, we were using GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar before Zoom was even a thing. So that part, having a leg up, and I know there were a lot of accountants. In fact, even the H&R blocks of the world had to shut down during COVID. They weren't prepared for that kind of infrastructure change. And we were, and that that was a huge benefit. Like I felt good about what we were able to do for our clients. Our clients that were forced into shutdowns, like they really needed this money. They really needed those PPP funds to, to keep jobs going, to keep people employed, to pay themselves, to meet their bills, especially when they were shut down. There were home builders I represent that were shut down 
for three and four months and they couldn't produce income. And that was a big deal. I felt good about what went on. That was an opportunity to build a lot of goodwill with my clients. And I think we did that. How about with all you got going on with the business, your kids, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? Yeah, you know, I'm a workout guy. So I still play hockey. During the off season, I play hockey once or twice a week. During the hockey season, I play two or three times a week. So I'm still a hockey player, playing senior hockey, which is great. Love that. And, uh, you know, I get my workouts on. CrossFit's my latest genre. I've been doing that for about the last six years. So 12 noon, it's in my calendar. It is time blocked. And everyone knows, like, that's I'm done at 12 from 12 to 1. No calls, no no slacks, no text. I'm doing a CrossFit class every day. So I try to get five of those in a week. So typically there's three or four of those during the week. I usually hit it Saturday mornings. And that's always been my go-to. It relieves stress. I feel 100 times better and I'm ready to attack. And I do it at 12 noon. I've gotten to that habit. It lets me attack the second half of the day between business and work and clients and what my kids have going on. It's sort of a second shift there. That's the, the fun's not going to stop at five. You're most creative in the morning, get the day started. And then just when like the energy starts to wane a little bit, you get that workout in and it, you're kind of launched for the next three, four hours of the day. And your work, your professional work is so much better two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon after that workout. I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. How about this? I appreciate you sharing that. How about what book influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? Oh, so many. That's tough to narrow down. So I'll give you one from the modern era and I'll give you one from way back when that I think I read when I first started, somebody gave it to me. Think and Grow Rich was a great one that I read out of the game uh, when I started business. And that sort of got my mindset right. I never gave any consideration to any of those things until I read that book. That was a game changer long-term for me. Those things still ring in the back of my head. Love that one. The more recent one, we mentioned Tim Ferriss, uh, Four Hour Work Week was just a great one to get back on the mindset. Hey, you've got to work smarter. You've got to plan your day a certain way. Got a ton of great ideas from the original edition of that book. Yeah. And he continues to be influential in some of the things that he conveys in both his other books and his podcast. So yeah, that was a big one. First off, Ferris, go backwards. Ferris, I probably wouldn't have this podcast without him. Never met him. One of the more influential people I've never met that had influenced like the way I think and what I do. And so much of this podcast, if you read his books and listen to his podcast, I just flat out stole from him. Like it's, I could tell. <laughs> I could tell because I listened to your podcast. There's nothing. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. He'd be, I'm sure, I've never met him either, but I'm sure he'd be honored because I think that's what he's trying to do. His stuff is just so solid. Even some of the questions I asked are just blatantly 80% his, and I just kind of tweak them for me. In that four-hour work week, it just it really makes you a better professional after you read that book. It shows you how to tighten your game up and to work on what's effective and not be busy, be effective, not busy. And that's just so great. And then Think and Grow Rich. I know there's a couple of articles out there now saying that Napoleon Hill wasn't the greatest guy, did some shady things, but that particular book, Think and Grow Rich, changes your mindset. It starts off with how you think and what you put into your brain. And it's one thing I got out of that book. If you watch drama, not drama, but just other people's problems that you can't influence, things that are outside of your control, 
right? And you just crush yourself with, I can't control this and drama and tragedy and drama and tragedy and what blew up seven time zones away. That's going to start your thought process in a certain way. And it's in your thoughts, do your actions, your actions, do your results, results drive lifestyles. Your whole life is different when you, what you feed your brain matters. I got that out of that book. Like you have to feed yourself with positive like almost nutritious information that that you can set your mind on a certain path. Does that make sense? Yeah, no doubt. And it's and listen, it takes some time. It takes some time to develop those habits and to think that way and some repetition. I find myself like I go through periods of time where I sort of get off track. And when I find myself doing that, I'll be like, okay, wait, let's just think back to the basics here. And it does it com- does come back to mindset. In today's world, it's it is not easy. There are so many negative influences going on everywhere, and who's afraid of the market crashing, and who's afraid of the recession. Everything it, it can be impactful on your thinking, but I think you've got to get back to those basics, and it helps to have that as a point of reference. If you could have everyone listening take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Focus on the things you can control and don't worry about the things you can't control. Influence what you can influence and do it with all your heart and with your best intentions. And don't worry about the things that you can't influence. I think people spend too much time, as we've discussed here, just getting caught in the weeds on things that are not impactful and that they can't change. But if you can change it and you can take action, then take action even if it's not the ideal action as imperfect action is better than perfect non-action. Yeah, that would be it. That yeah. would be it. It's almost like that general patent plan, like a decent plan executed violently today is better than a perfect plan executed next week. What advice would you have for that person? Let's just talk to the average person that maybe done TurboTax or H&R Block, and, but they know they might be missing something or they might be thinking about buying something, a house or a vacation home, or they might be selling some investments from an inheritance. What would you say to that person thinking, maybe I do need a CPA, but they're maybe just hesitant, maybe it'll cost too much. What advice would you have for them? I would tell them to make that call, send that email, do the inquiry, get their information. We have a conversation, we evaluate everything, and then we send an engagement letter that fixes our fee and is very clear on the services that we're going to provide. So if nothing else, before we do anything, and that's all non-chargeable up until that point, before we do anything, they know what they're going to spend with us and they've had some interaction with us and the opportunity to find out how knowledgeable you are. And I would say be methodical about that process, but I, you hit on this early in the process here. that It is a constant world of change. Right now, doing anything with the IRS is enormously difficult. You used to have these backdoor hacks where I could get through to the IRS in three minutes those same calls now are taking me 45 on hold. It is an IRS like no other, and it, and it impacts everybody that's trying to get something done that is not skilled at how to do it. So really, get your ducks in a row, use your resources, and make an informed decision. Last question. Ernie Neve, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? Yeah, that's easy. One of the things I did not too long ago for CrossFit was I purchased a barbell, an Olympic weightlifting barbell. 
I bought it from a company called Rogue. That's the premier provider in that arena. And I had inscribed on the bar, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wow. You miss. I say that, obviously. And I'm sure, and I'm sure you know who did. No, the, I'm sure the, you know who did. Greatest yeah, player yeah. in the history that put on skates, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Right. Yeah. You so, that, like, that's it. Like, take your shot. Whatever, whatever it is. Don't. Don't have any regrets. And I, uh, yeah, bar's really cool. I'll send you a picture of it. It's, uh, it's gold because, you know, I like gold and it's got blue. <laughs> it's got navy blue inscription on it and have my boys' names on each of the sides. It's, real, it's really cool. How cool is that? A bar with both your boys' names on it. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, number 99. Man, dude, that is awesome. I think that is about as good as a spot to end as any. Ernie Neve, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank you for sharing your wisdom and just what a CPA does and why the average person needs one. It was great, man. I think you helped a lot of people today. If people are looking for you and your firm online, how can they find you? Yeah, pretty well out there as far as social media goes. Nevegroup.com is our main website. It's my last name, Neve, N-E-V-E, group, nevegroup.com. But you can find me. I'm on all the major platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And uh, listen, if you want to communicate with me or my team, just shoot me a DM or just go to my website. There's a way to interact with us through there. And uh, lots of good information there as well. What I'll do is I will put all of these in the show notes. So if you got anyone out there, you got some tax situations, tax problems, full disclosure, Ernie is my tax guy and he has helped me out tremendously over the years. And I appreciate all the help, the tax planning, the advice. And I know you've got a lot going on and appreciate you taking an hour out of your busy schedule to come on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate you. Be well. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app. Or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.